Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Support for Away With Words comes from Mosey Online Backup. Mosey protects your valuable computer files against data loss from hard drive crashes, viruses, theft, and other disasters. Find out more at mozy.com. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. Despite the great recession that we're in, there's still every effort being made by advertisers to separate us from our money. I've noticed that they play on our sense of frugality instead of trying to convince us that we deserve it or that we're worth it. Everything is recessionary spending. They're twisting the language a little bit. I guess advertising has always done that, right? They try to persuade us with just the right word or the right turn of phrase. They want our money in their pockets. Right. It's called spin. (laughs) It's called spin. Well, there was an article by Stuart Elliott. He is the advertising beat columnist for The New York Times. And in it, he explains that part of the common strategy of uh, selling things to people in the recession is to use upbeat language. You're not going to buy a product from somebody who says, life sucks, doesn't it? (laughs) Right? No, you're not. (laughs) So the advertisers use words of encouragement, words that have positivity. Right. But I'm still laughing over the Quaker Oats campaign. Go, humans, go. Go, humans, go. I mean, I know it keeps you regular, (laughs) but my heavens, you know... No, but the art, the art was nice in that. It's a man with two two cardboard canisters of oats strapped to his back like a jetpack, and he's flying off into the this great future that we're all supposed to have, right? No, I know, but I that's just but, a little too upbeat even for me. Oh, is it now? It's not like up with people or something. They're just almost, urging you. Almost, almost. <laughs> no. Go, humans, go. Up with people. Right, yeah. Humans, you rock. You're so great. You're human. Go, go be your human self. Yeah. Maybe you're right. There's something kind of inane about that. Well, I like my oats, though, so. Oh, I love that's it. I that's love the it. thing is I was buying oats in the, in the up economy, in the down economy. What am I supposed to do now? Buy more oats? <laughs> well, we could talk about the motivations that come from advertising and the way that they persuade us to spend our money all day. But if you've got something else to talk about, give us a call, one 929 You can also talk about this and any other topic on our discussion forum at waywardradio.org slash discussion. And you can send us email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Oh, super duper to take from Grant and Barney. <laughs> My name is uh, Kristen. I'm what? from Dallas. Kristen from Dallas, and you call us right. Grant and Barney? <laughs> super duper. Isn't that what he says all the time? It is yeah, what Grant says I do all say the that all the time. Oh, no, I've become a parody of myself. <laughs> You're busted, Barrett. Well, Kristen, welcome to the show. Hi. I'm gonna well, tease you there a is a rhyme that we used to do as a kid all the time, and everybody looks at me like I'm a crazy person when I try to tell it to them. Okay. Oh, and I've been able to find the beginning of the rhyme off and on online, and I'll tell you what it is. It's William Trimpletoes. He's a good fisherman. Catches hens, puts them in the pens. Liar, briar, limber, lock. Three geese in a flock. One flew east, one flew west, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. 
O-U-T spells out, you old dirty dish rag, you. <laughs> <laughs> and this sounds that like a counting great. game. This is for kids, right? Yeah, this is for kids. We would play it with my grandmother. And so she would point. And I've been able to find that part on the Internet off and on, though it's a little different. Mm-hmm. But we had a continuation where the person who was out would then go hide behind something. And we would all yell, when you coming home? And the person would respond, tomorrow afternoon, what you going to bring? A fish and a spoon and a fat raccoon. Well, what you coming home on? And that kid gets to choose an animal like a dog. So somebody mm-hmm. runs over there like a dog yelp, yelping and brings him back. And then we all say, shake him till he spits. And you shake until they fall off. <laughs> well, first of all, I was wondering where this comes from. My, my family's Cajun. And so I kind of assumed it was that. Ah. But I had also thought, um, you know, in the epigraph of the book, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, he has the line, one flew east, one flew west, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you look in the text, he, he does a version of that William Trimbletoes. Oh, really? Because yes. I haven't read the book. Yes. But I... Right, yeah, it's, it's in the book. I don't think it goes as far as the additional part that you're talking about. <laughs> That's just a family weird edition. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned the the family weird edition because there are other families who played similarly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Are yeah. you aware of any um, regions that that's specific to? All over the South, Alabama, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Virginia, um, even. Virginia, Kentucky, North Carolina, for sure. Um, and um, do you remember this part? Did, did the uh, leader, did grandma say when the person came back, what you got there? And the person says, a bag of knits? And then they say she You know to the what? Spits? That is totally ringing a bell, yes. Is it? I mean, uh-huh. we used to, this was so long ago, I wasn't even sure if I remembered the whole thing right. Yeah, well, that's interesting. You know, I found one thing online, though, that kind of brought it back to Scotland. And they had a different version that instead of um, saying hens, it was something about hands. <laughs> ah. There are a bunch of different versions of this. Most of them are much shorter than the version that you gave us. So you were a little longer. I found it in a Virginia newspaper uh, more than 100 years, from more than 100 years ago. Really? 1890s, wow, Hampton, fantastic. Virginia. Yeah. Now, did they do the second part or just the first part? Both parts, actually. Ah! Mm-hmm. Ah, Both parts. Well, I'm and glad because, you know, I, one of my sisters kept telling me, I think that second part, we used to do that to something else. I don't think that's related. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it is. Mm. <laughs> well, yeah, thank is. you so much. That answers so much. I'm so glad other people play it. All right. Okay, so Have a good one. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We'd love to hear the rhymes you used as a kid when you played your games with grandmother or your siblings or whoever. Give us a call, 1-877-929-9673. Send us an email to words at waywardradio.org or leave them on our discussion forum at waywardradio.org slash discussion. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Ray Wartell. Um, I'm calling from Dallas. All right. All right, here's, here's my question. I'll preface it with a little background. Um, I was born in the Midwest, lived there till I was about 10 years old, uh, moved to Texas, grew up in Texas. I've traveled all over the country, lived in England for a year, and it wasn't until I lived on the Northeast, specifically in New York, that I noticed this. New Yorkers say standing on line instead of standing in line, or waiting on line rather than waiting in line. Never noticed it anywhere else. It strikes me as odd every time I hear it. Why are New Yorkers backwards in this regard, is my question. Backwards? <laughs> what are you saying, mister? 
<laughs> I'm joking. I love New York. I love New Yorkers. I lived there a long time. <laughs> I hear you. I'm a New Yorker. Speaking to you from 20th Street and 6th Avenue in Manhattan. And yeah, I appreciate you what you're saying about the, the quirks and oddities of this city. Not only is the economy so heavily dependent, say, on finance, but the language is really weird here. And we all have these, like, strange, arrogant behaviors about us that have to do with we like the fact that we say online, don't we, New Yorkers? We, it, seemed, we kind of, it seems so. We revel in it. We talk about That's it as right. a feature of our speech. This is something, right, Martha? We New Yorkers are well known for saying, yeah, we say online. It's no secret to a New Yorker. So where does it come from? What are the origins? Or is it just unknown? It's just a regional thing? This is clearly a marker that distinguishes New Yorkers and people in New Jersey, too. And you know what's really weird is there are pockets, small pockets around the country where they do say online. And I don't know if this is people who have been influenced by New Yorkers, ex-New Yorkers, but there's a great dialect map on the web, and you can see little pockets of it around the country. But you're right that it's very, very um, concentrated in New York. And I don't think anybody's ever quite figured this out. I've seen one suggestion that maybe it has to do with German influence on the language because um, in some parts of the country that were settled by Germans, like parts of Pennsylvania, they'll say things like on the attic, like there's an old bed up on the attic. Hmm. And, okay. But I think they just talk funny. No, I, I don't know. I think I think um, nobody really knows the answer to that. But, but it does drive those of us outside of New York nuts, wouldn't you say? Well, why would it? You don't A live little. here, so you, don't, you shouldn't hear it, right? You should only hear it if you're here. And then, and then, when in New York, do as New Yorkers do. That's true. That 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 much is true. Maybe once upon a time, there were actual lines that told people where to stand. Ah, and yes, maybe that's... some sort of I don't know um, official Ray, yeah, buildings, yeah. and you literally had mm-hmm. to stand on the line to be counted. Well, I don't know. That's one of the theories, and I I think it's pretty interesting. The the idea of the tape on the floor that shows you where to stand. And also there's a difference between getting in line, which is to form a line, and getting online, which is to add yourself to an existing line. Does that make right. sense? Yeah. So there's a yeah, kind of a difference in behavior there too. There are a lot of different ways this could come about. But as I was saying, one of the things one of the problems with online versus inline is that New Yorkers know that's what they're supposed to say. And because most of us, including yeah, me, aren't from here, we learn it when we get here. And we take it on as a feature of our language to show, either consciously or unconsciously, that we're a New Yorker. And, hey, you know what? Everyone does this. No matter where they live, they take on the local language, and it self-perpetuates. It doesn't need a reason anymore except to say the only reason it needs is to say, I'm a New Yorker. This is what New Yorkers say. Therefore, it's online. Oh, really? So it's sort of a linguistic initiation rite for you guys. No, it's a shibboleth, as they say. Well, yeah. This is how you prove that you're a New Yorker because you say online instead of inline. So, Grant, how long were you in New York before you made the switch? I don't know, actually, but I do say both now. I say online and inline, and I don't I, I, unconsciously. I don't. I've had I've been had people call me on it. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know. I don't know when I picked it up, but it's in there. It's okay, in there. I still haven't, but I'm I'm also spent a lot of time in Texas, and we're just as stubborn. So that 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 might be. Yeah, I gotta say, you know, New Yorkers up against Texans, boy, that's a contest you want to see. Well, you know, I have a friend who moved from Kentucky to New York, and and then he moved back to Kentucky, and he said he feels like he added 11 years to his life because of the time that he spent standing online in New York as opposed to in line in Kentucky where you don't stand in line very long because there just isn't the same concentration of people. 
That's true. So we, we have that as consolation, at least. Uh, well, thanks, guys. I don't know if uh, I've, I'm any clearer on this, but it was fun talking about it. And yep. uh, I oh, love your exactly. show, and I appreciate <laughs> you letting me be on. That happens Thank to you. a we'll lot send, of people. We'll send the therapy bill to your address. So. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks, Ray. Ray. Thank you for calling. All right. Bye-bye. Have a great day. Well, if you have a question about language, you can go online and email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Or you can get on the phone line and call us, one 929 9673 Via Twitter, Anna Gonzalez of Dallas asks us, on behalf of her husband James, if we can help him with the origin of the word antsy, as in church makes my kid antsy. Uh-huh. A-N-T-S-Y. Well, there you go. James is not alone in misspelling it as A-N-C-Y. If you Google that, you'll find plenty of people spell it that way because they really? don't quite get that it is really related to ants, the little six-legged, you know, red or black creatures that, like, get in your pants. Ah. Because antsy, as it turns out, comes from a literal reference to acting as if there are ants in your pants or on your body. You're mm-hmm. squirming, you're fidgety, you know, you've got no self-control, you're, like— convulsive because these ants are tickling you or bothering you in some way, right? Mm -hmm. And that's actually what it means to be antsy, to behave as if there are ants on your person. All right. Well, if a question about language has you antsy, run on over to the phone and call us, 1-877-929-9673. Or you can always email us, words at waywardradio.org. Stay tuned for a word game and more of your calls. That's next on Away With Words. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And joining us is our quiz guy, John Chinesky. Hi, John. Hi, Martha. Hi, Hola, Grant. John. What's Hola. up? Hola. Que tal? <laughs> well, I have a, a, a wonderful little quiz for you guys. I hope uh, you're ready for me to direct you in the answering of certain questions. Oh, so you're going to give us the answer sheet then. That's right. Great. Here we go. I'll read a sentence to you. Hidden somewhere in the sentence is the name of a musical instrument. Okay. Now, yeah, the same musical instrument every time? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're you're a good one. Uh, no, different musical instruments every ah, time. Okay, okay. You're just listening for the sound of the name of the instrument, not the letters. For example, if I say, my cousin is a Santa Monica zookeeper whose specialty is hummingbirds. Did you get that one? Santa Monica zookeeper whose specialty is hummingbirds. I he raised so... his eyebrows at zookeeper. Santa Monica zookeeper. Zook, zook. My kazoo, cousin. kazoo. Ooh, kazoo. yes, very good. Oh, the answer is kazoo. Okay, Santa, Santa Monica Zoo I keeper. See. Okay, okay. Here we go with the quiz. If the waiter doesn't bring my Chilean sea bass soon, I think we should blow this joint. <laughs> Chilean sea bass. If the waiter doesn't bring this Chilean sea bass soon, I think we should blow this joint. So it's a it's a wind instrument. Chilean sea bass. Sea bass? Bass instead of bass? No. <laughs> no, that could be a You're close. Bass, I think. Bass. Oh. Bassoon. Oh, yes. If the waiter. Oh, bassoon. Sea bassoon. I think we should blow this joint. Very good. <laughs> bassoon. Here's the next. We found under the jungle canopy an overwhelming number of ivory bearing animals. Canopiano. 
Canopiano. Piano. Piano. Canopy and overwhelming number of ivory bearing. These are very clever. These are very clever. I'm glad you like them. I can never seem to get in touch with my sons, John or Philip. But my daughter Sue's a phone call away anytime I need her. <laughs> Sue's a phone, nice. which is an incredibly rare instrument. Uh, yes, it is. Well, my daughter Sue is a phone call away. Sue's, Sue's a, phone. a phone call away. <laughs> okay, now this next one requires a little acting on my part, so let me buckle down. Good day, mate. How'd you lose all that weight? Did you reduce your caloric intake or just exercise more? <laughs> um, one more time. One more time, slower. Good day, mate. How'd you lose all that weight? Did you reduce your caloric intake or just exercise more? Oh, I don't know. Well, what kind of accent am I attempting? Well, it's Australian, so right. didgeridoo maybe is in there. Is, oh, it is in there. <laughs> oh, is so, it? Did you? Did you? Yeah. Redu- oh, did you reduce your caloric oh. intake oh. or just <laughs> exercise more? Very clever. Very brilliant. Yeah, very nice. <laughs> you know, I can whistle and hum at the same time. Nice. Yeah, it's Martha. Very nice. Here's the next. Ladybugs are good for your garden, but an aphid will eat a thousand times its weight in rose petals. A fiddle. A fiddle. <laughs> yeah. Aphid, by the way, is the only word I could find with fid at the at the end of it. That was a common word, at least. Yeah. So that's great. Yeah, the hunt Thank for you. the hunt for the uh, weird word, right? Yeah, that'll that help. Yeah. Okay. Though in this next one, it won't help. Oh, darn. Let's see. In order to catch fish like that, you must cast a net so that it blocks the opening <laughs> of the lagoon. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. Castanets. Castanets. <laughs> yes, castanets. That should have been the first one, I think. That was pretty easy. That's still fun. That's great. Okay. I think I have one more for you, but it, it requires even more acting than I, I know if I can I can muster up, but I'll give it a shot. Okay. Uh-huh. I just want to say, when I think how belts are so good at holding up my pants, I just want to buy more and more of them. That's the worst walking impression I've ever heard. And it's cowbell. It is cowbell, right? the whole online meme about... More cowbell, please. More cowbell. When I think cow belts are so good <laughs> at holding up my pants, I just want to buy more and more of them. Is walking the new Reagan or the new John Wayne? I mean, everyone does their impression, and they all are like, actually, they're not imitating there's, him. They're there, imitating other impressions of him, That's right. right. There's, yeah. there's walking. There's uh, Schwarzenegger, Leno, pretty much anybody can do yeah. a Leno. Yeah. But, uh, well, that's my quiz for today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I know that I was, did. That was oh, great. I, that may man. be one of the best quizzes I've ever done. Yeah. Well, that's Thank that's you. nice. The, the, well, I'd like to see more of those, please. More, please. Yes, Thank strike you. up the band. More like this. <laughs> that was terrific. Thank you. Thank you, John. And if you want to talk about musical words or any other kind of language, give us a call. The number is 1-877-929-9673. Or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi. This Hi, is who's Dorothy this? from Fort Worth. Dorothy from Fort Worth. Welcome to the show. Hi. Well, thank you. What can we do for you? Well, um, I used a phrase the other day, um, a lick and a promise, mm-hmm. and I got such a strong reaction from a friend, I thought, am I using that right? Um, we were had been working together on a project, and with some other girls, too, and uh, it required some detail. And my, the one friend, not the one I was talking to, but she said, 
you know, I'd had this done by now if I was heading this up. You know, I'd whip this together and we'd be done. And so I said to the friend I was talking to, yeah, she'd just give it a lick and a promise. And my friend just cracked up. She said she'd never heard it before. And I really, I thought it was fairly common. Yeah, Yeah, I would think so, too. By licking a promise, you meant something kind of cursory or just sort of slapped together? Or... Yes, right. yes. She's not going to give it the attention that it really deserves and all the detail. And um, I had to even ask my mom about it. And she said, oh, yeah, I've used it all my life, you know, if I'm going to vacuum or whatever and, I'm not, and it's not cleaning day, then I'm just going to quickly, you know, do it and take care of the real job later. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. That's how I understand it as well, exactly like that. Yeah, and it just means a slight bit of effort. I mean, a lick is very slight, right? It's it's right. brief and, and doesn't do a whole lot. And I think there's also the idea of um, sort of a a, um, a hasty kind of, you know, like when a child, what do they call that? A schoolboy's wipe? Grant? A schoolboy's wash. Schoolboy's school wash. Schoolboy's wash. <laughs> you know, yeah. where you just sort of just sort of clean yourself in a very cursory way. Right, right. Yeah. you got a cowlick sticking up, so you lick your hand and wipe it down so it'll <laughs> stay in place. It's just as long as it takes to get out the door, right? Well, is that where the lick comes from? Because that's the part that really threw me. Because after she laughed so hard, I thought, well, you know, it made me second-guess myself. And I thought, well, that does sound strange, doesn't it? Yeah, well... The earliest sense I've seen of it is a slight and hasty wash. Okay. But I think there is also that metaphorical sense of just just dabbing, you know, doing something very quickly. Yeah, a lick can be like a single stroke or a single hit or a single swipe. It doesn't have to necessarily be something that you do with the tongue. I mean, traditionally, obviously today in modern English, a lick is almost always something you do with the tongue. Right. But historically, it didn't have to be. Right, like I haven't done a lick of work all day. Exactly like that, right? right? Yeah. Or a a musician might play a lick on his guitar. You know, it's kind of like a quick one-off thing he's doing there. Yeah. So, so I did use it correctly. Then. You did. <laughs> you were great. And I, it's, a good, it's a good expression, and I, I like it. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with it. So. Yeah, but it's one of those expressions where you start looking at it, and then you think, hmm, what does that mean? Yeah, yeah looking at a promise. It's so strange in the promise part. Well, you promise to do more later. You right. Promise to, you promise to finish it later. You're mm-hmm. like, well, you know, the guests are going to be here in a half hour. I've got time just to run the, the sweeper in one room and make sure the toilet bowl is clean, and then I promise right. to do okay. it all after they leave, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for calling, Dorothy. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. All right. All right. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. 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 If you use an expression and your friends laugh at you, maybe it is legitimate, give us a call. The number is 1-877-929-9673 or email us. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello. You have a way with words. Hi. This is Phil from Iowa City, Iowa. Hi, Phil. How you doing? I'm doing just fine. Thank you. I'm wondering uh, about the origin of the phrase piping hot. I can remember when I was young and since then hearing some kinds of liquids like coffee being described as piping hot. And I don't understand the, um, how piping uh, has, what piping has to do with hot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are you picturing anything when they say piping hot? Oh, stovepipes and maybe tea kettles making a piping noise. Uh, uh-huh. But um, it... it Sounds like it's too hot to drink yet when it's piping hot. Yep, yep. And that's pretty much the idea. The uh, The tea kettle idea is um, is a good image there because, the you know, we don't usually hear the word pipe as a verb, meaning to whistle or to hiss, but it has been used that way in the past, and piping hot is 
so hot that the food is hissing, you know, when you're when you're frying up something in the in the frying pan or or boiling something and it and it whistles. So it right. Can be food as well as liquid then. Yes. 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 You know when you go to a restaurant and there's that person across the room who orders this dish that's on fire and is like <laughs> yeah. or you know it's steaming when it's delivered to the table, that is piping hot. It's actually making a noise. It is piping. Right. Those I, fajitas. So you shouldn't drink it when it's piping. Oh no no because no. it means it's this you know it's you know you know a millimeter away from boiling or a few seconds away from boiling. Right. And Philip, would you believe this expression is super old? It goes all the way back to the 14th century. People were talking about things being piping hot. Hmm. Wow. That was before I was born even. Really? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, have we been some help to you? You've been very helpful. Thank you so much, sir. Thanks, Phil. Bye-bye. Sure. Bye-bye. Grant, I did not know until recently that the expression pipe down Mm -hmm. is a nautical term. Did you? It really is. I assumed it was related to this one. I did, too, but it turns out that pipe down was when a ship's officer gave the signal to the crew to retire for the night. I guess they blew some kind of whistle or something. Now, is that true? Yes. I mean, so many of these nautical origin stories for words are completely false. Right. I know. I know. But um, at least according to the OED, um, by the— The Oxford English Dictionary yes. says so? Well, yeah, Oxford think? English Dictionary yeah, says well, so. Yeah, well, maybe they're right. Maybe always, we'll... <laughs> yeah, right, right. You work for them, yeah. no. I had to tell you that when you asked him what he thinks of when he hears the expression piping hot, you know what I think of? What? Chicken pot pies. I have no idea why, but <laughs> you know, there's kind of this stew underneath the crust yeah. that's boiling and it's kind of burbling through whatever little gaps there are in this perfectly brown, crunchy crust. Yeah. That's what I think of when oh, I think of piping hot. Boy, mm. that brings back some memories. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's all doughy underneath and mm. there's the buttery texture mm. and the big solid pieces of carrot. And, right. mm, 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 and then your fork kind of scrapes against the, you know, aluminum mm-hmm. pan. And, mm. oh, yeah. Who <laughs> <Ooh>, don't <laughs> get us started about lunch? food. <laughs> yeah. See ya. Bye-bye. <laughs> In the meantime, you can give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. We will try to tell you what a word means, where it comes from, and how it's going to affect the future of the world. It's all related. <laughs> you can also leave us a message about this call and other calls at waywardradio.org slash discussion. Or pipe up and send us an email. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Susan in Encinitas. Hi, Susan. Encinitas, California, I take it, yes? Yes. Lovely Well, Susan, welcome to the show. What can we do for you? I have a question about the word agita. Agita? Agita. I grew up in Connecticut, and it was a word I heard a lot. It was a word that one of my friends actually used a lot. And then the other day, I received an email from my boss that used the word agita and copied one of my coworkers who's in the Midwest. And um, I think the email said something to the effect of, this article gave me agita. And um, my coworker wrote me the next day and said, what does she mean? You know, what, what is agita? She said that she and someone else in her office had looked it up and couldn't find any reference to it. And part of it might have been the spelling. And they had never heard of it. And I asked a couple people here in California, had they heard the word agita? And they hadn't. And I'm wondering, where does it come from? And, you know, is it a regional New York, Northeast thing? Yeah, Susan, a couple of things. Um, Number one, how was it used and how did they spell it? She spelled it, I think, O-G-I-D-A. 
Ajida. O G I D A. And you said that it. Uh, your somebody's boss said this article gave me agita, meaning that it made them unhappy. It, it, you know, I would take it as you know, it gave me stomach acid. The way I had used it before was mostly um, one of my friends would say every time she had tomato sauce, it gave her agita. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So you know, it give you an upset stomach. But I think in um, this sense, it was more you know, it, it made me nervous. It made me upset. Uh huh. So a generalized feeling of just. Ickiness and upset and discomfort. A total body migraine. I've heard it described that way. <laughs> that, that's a new one. <laughs> and your friend, the friend that you learned this from, who used it all the time, is she of Italian heritage, perhaps? She is. Aha. Uh-huh. And she's from Connecticut? Yes. Well, Susan, you do have exactly the meaning of it, which is heartburn or stomach acid. Is it an Italian thing? Yes. It's I, a, yes. I don't. It, it originally really? was Italian, yes, as a matter of fact. And you know what's really interesting? It doesn't start to occur in printed English, really, until the 1980s, the early 1980s, although I'm sure it was around decades before that. And yeah. how would you spell it? Because when we did Google it as O-G-I-D-A, I don't think it came up. Yeah, well, that's because ordinarily it's spelled A-G-I-T-A. Oh, okay. Agita. And there are a couple of different theories about where that comes from. Such as? such as, well, there's the uh, heartburn or stomach acid theory, and there's also the idea that it might come from agitare, which means to be agitated. Oh, okay. I'm a, I'm a proponent of the first theory, and, and, and here's why. If you look in dictionaries of Sicilian dialect, and I have a couple of those at home, you'll find that there's a phrase, I'm going to mispronounce this, and all the Sicilians are going to call me up and, and tell me exactly how to do it correctly, but... Uh-oh. It, <laughs> It's perhaps it's acitud di stomaco or acitud di stomaco, which literally means acid or vinegar of the stomach. And that first word is spelled A-C-I-T-U. And I could easily see how the uh, the spelling might change from region to region or when uh, Italians or Sicilians specifically came to the United States, they might phonetically spell it out because it's easy to see how that C might be rendered as a G in certain speech. But this is all neither here nor there. In any case, I think it's related specifically to Sicilian dialect of Italian. So is it an Italian thing or is it a New York thing? Like I said, you know, if it's an Italian thing, you would think we, we covered three regions with it. Here's the thing. No, it's not an Italian thing specifically. You will not find the word A-G-I-T-A listed with anything like this meaning in any Italian dictionary that I know of. And I've looked this up before and done a little bit of backgrounding on this, and there's just it's not in there. But when Italians came to the New World, they came by the gazillions. And a lot of times they all kind of created local, that is to say parts of New York, had one specific kind of Italian that they spoke where they took the dialect from this region and the dialect from that region. And some of the best features of all these different dialects kind of prevailed. So they developed during decades their own regional kind of New York dialect of Italian. So it's very easy to see. I mean, there are lexicons of this stuff. It's very easy to see how this word could occur among Italian speakers in New York. They could still be speaking Italian as far as it goes. But, yeah, and non-Italian you know, when, speakers as well. That's right. When you say Italian, though, in the New World, you're really talking about some of these dialects are so different from each other, they're almost incomprehensible. I mean, in the written form, they're far more comprehensible, but they're, they sound very different. They have a different rhythm, different vocabulary, the whole thing. So, 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 Susan, I have a suggestion for you. Okay. If your friends are challenging you about the word agita, I think you should all get together and rent the Woody Allen film Broadway Danny Rose. There we go. 
There's a whole song in there about Ajita. Oh, and, that's, really? and, it's, and as far as most etymologists are concerned, that is the moment at which this word entered the national consciousness. It became something other than a New Yorkism or, say, a you know, New York, Connecticut, New Jerseyism and actually reached uh, the larger mainstream English. Okay. So, Susan, are you feeling any now? I uh, am not. <laughs> we helped you get rid of your agita. You did get rid of my agita, so thank you. All right. All right. You're very welcome. All right. Thanks thank a lot. You. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Antacid Radio, right here. Well, if a linguistic question is giving you Ajita, give us a call. The number is 1-877-929-9673 or email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. More answers to your questions about language. That's coming up on Away With Words. Support for Away With Words comes from Random House, publisher of Origins of the Specious, Myths and Misconceptions of the English Language by Patricia T. O'Connor and Stuart Kellerman. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett, along with Grant Barrett. Martha, reaching into my big bag of words, there's one I've been liking very much recently. What would that be? Stabby. Stabby? S-T-A-B-B-Y. Stabby. They'll say things like, every time the internet goes out, I, it makes me feel all stabby, which means they're, they've, they're prone to stabbing something, and they feel like they feel like stabbing something. Okay, yeah, it's a little violent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but are you, you're saying that it's used in a more sort of benign way now? Oh, I'm, I'm just feeling stabby. That's right. More benign. But there's two things that interest me about this. First of all, it's escaped the attention of lexicographers. I can't find it in any dictionary. Stabby. And yet you will see that particularly in the last few years, it's had kind of a vogue, a a resurgence. It's it's become popular, particularly in informal texts. Stabby. How did I miss stabby? But the the absolute best thing, the, the reason I liked this word, the reason I'm bringing it to your attention is that I found a quote from 1970 in a book called Wilt Thou Torchy by Sewell Ford. And I swear that's the title of it. It's very bizarre. 1970. And the quote goes like this. Her eyes are the stabby kind, worse than long hat pins. I mean, what does that tell you about that woman's face, okay, right? Okay, that's nice, yeah. It's good. She's one of these people with a powerful glare, the one that can make you admit to sins, oh, right? Oh, yeah. This is the kind of glance that a mother has to her children, right? She looks at you. She sees through your soul. She knows things about you. Right, right. Anyway, or, stabby yeah. eyes, sharp right. ones, piercing ones. Right, so. or, or the face you have on the subway, you know, so people won't bother you, right? Oh, that's yeah, that's called mean mugging or mad mugging. Sure, I get that one. If you'd like to share a word with us, the number is 1-877-929-9673, or you can always send us an email. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, this is Chris Conway. I'm calling from Rockwall, Texas, and I'm hoping that you will be able to settle um, a bet between between me and my husband. Um, He is absolutely certain that the word Zerbert was created by Bill Cosby. And I just can't imagine that it has been around um, for that little amount of time. Zerbert, and what, is, what does Zerbert mean? Where do you... Well, Zerbert is when uh, that, that noise that you make when you, would, uh, when you sort of blow on your baby's belly and it makes oh. that sort of silly sound. Oh, raspberry. Ah. Yes, raspberry. Okay. And how do you spell that, Christine? Um, well, I guess the way I've always imagined it is Z-E-R-B-E-R-T. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I have to ask, what's riding on this bet? Does one of you get to give the other Zerberts or what? <laughs> no, that would be um, a movie. I'm, uh, if I lose, I'll actually have to go see um, the new Terminator movie with him. 
And if he loses, I think I'm going to make him rent Twilight with me. Oh. Oh, okay. I think you're likely to have a better time at the Terminator movie than he is at the Twilight movie, but okay. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> and what got you all to talking about this word of all things? We have a three-year-old and a six-year-old, so there's lots of zerberding going, along, uh, going on in our house. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'll bet. I have to confess, I've never seen a reference to Zerbert any earlier than the Cosby show. I've never, I haven't found it either. And and I know the, I used to know the Cosby canon, if you can call it such a thing, quite well, because I had whole albums of his memorized as a kid. I had the <laughs> entire Wonderfulness album memorized. But um, in terms of Zerbert being, and you know, the thing is, I don't think it really exists that much outside of Cosby either. People mm-hmm. who know the term Zerbert almost always know that it, that Kazu was the person that they learned it from. Hmm. Really? Yeah, I don't. I don't know that it's got a life of its own. And I, you can look from from now to the end of time, and I don't think you're going to find anybody using it before Cosby. Oh well. It, it, it sounds like, like a family word that he just made famous because he was famous. Oh, well, that's you know nice. something that they used in their own house, and and then just because he talked about it on stage, other people picked it up. Well, it's certainly being put into good use at our house. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Lots of Zerberts? Mm -hmm. Lots of Zerberts. Well, Christine, I I wish that, I mean, it sounds like you're going to be seeing the Terminator. Unless we get some kind of different answer. I mean, surely Bill Cosby listens to this show. I mean, the man has a doctorate, right? He has a doctorate (laughs) in education. Bill, if you're listening, let us know. Did you invent Zerbert? (laughs) And words do seem kind of like his thing, too. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, you know, maybe maybe you could just sort of postpone your husband cashing in on the bet until Bill calls us. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Okay. Happy Zerberting. Okay. Thanks. And thanks, you. Christine. Bye-bye. 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 Grant, do you call it Zerberting when you do that with your little son? Yeah. It's, no, it's raspberries. Raspberries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He especially likes to do it on his mama's belly. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's such a sweet thing. One eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. This means you, Bill Cosby, and you can always email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Debbie Haran from Burlington, Vermont. Well, hi, Debbie. Debbie. How you doing? Welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be here. Uh, What can we do for you? Well, I was curious about the saying "way over yonder." Like um, there's a there's a barn way over yonder that's on fire. Maybe you should get some water. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Debbie, what got you to wondering about this one? Well, my parents moved to Central Florida a couple of years ago, and I grew up in South Florida, which is really not South. No, Central no. Florida is very Southern. Mm-hmm. And I was walking one day, and this water main had broken, and water was coming down into this lake, and and I didn't, you know, I wasn't near home, and uh, I didn't know the numbers. So I, I saw this woman, and I went over and I asked her, are you going home? Could you call the water department? And she says, well, I live way over yonder, and I'm not going to be getting there too soon. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I may have heard that before, but I'll, I was kind of surprised. <laughs> wow. So you were surprised that people use yonder in everyday speech, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I probably heard it when I was young by my great-grandmother, but I don't remember like right now, you know, I live up in New England, and they don't say way over yonder up here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or maybe you remember it from Shakespeare, but soft what light through yonder window breaks. 
Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm not surprised that you don't hear it up there. I, I see it generally in the South, and it's a fantastically archaic word, you know? I mean, it's almost poetic, isn't it? Mm-hmm. People in the rest of the country probably know it, but don't use it. Right. Yeah, maybe know it from songs or or uh, or from Shakespeare, but it, sure. it's this this sort of marvelous linguistic fossil that goes all the way back to 1300 or so. Ooh. But it uh, seems to have dropped out in other parts of the country. But but I certainly heard it all the time growing up. I wouldn't say that it's archaic now, though. It's just it's just a regional feature. Yeah. 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 Okay. Good. Because yeah. it's not something you're going to hear the NBC nightly newscaster say, right? <laughs> <laughs> Over yonder in the Middle East today. <laughs> no, they're not going to do that. Yeah. But you know what, it, you know what it reminds me of, Debbie? The word reckon. In the United States, reckon kind of is, has mm-hmm. the same notions that yonder has. When you hear reckon, you think of either rural speech or southern speech. And yet, in the United Kingdom, reckon is an everyday word for, for many British English speakers. So you might actually have somebody just say to you, yeah, I reckon that's correct. And they're not from anywhere in particular. It's just a normal part of their speech. So Yeah, I reckon that water means over yonder. <laughs> I reckon, <laughs> I reckon, I reckon so. so. Well, Debbie, are you going to adopt it into your vocabulary or just... Um... I think I will. I'm going to have to use reckon, too. All right. Well, thanks for giving us a call, Debbie. We're glad to help out. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you over yonder sometime. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. Bye now. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. If you heard something that caught your ear in another part of the country and you're curious about it, give us a call. The number is 1-877-929-9673. That's 1-877-WAY-WORD. And if you have a comment about this call or a question for us, you can always leave it at our discussion forum, waywardradio.org slash discussion, or follow us on Twitter at the username WayWord. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Jason Wyckoff calling from Grays Lake, Illinois. Well, what is on your mind? Well, I, I was listening to one of your earlier shows, and you're talking about um, more of the vocational vocabulary words that you use within a particular profession. I'm in the IT industry, and one word that uh, I think has jumped from being a, a technical term to actually using it in, in terms of, of how people interact is the word ping, P-I-N-G. And uh, in, in the technical world, uh, it's a command line that you would you would use to, to to type from one computer to basically reach out to another computer and kind of say, "Hey, are you there?" and and you kind of get some information regarding that. And within some of my my colleagues during meetings, uh, when we're about to break up and kind of figure out uh, you know what what needs to be done after a meeting, you know we'd say, "You know what? I'll ping you later on that, or I'll you know, reach out to you on that." And it was something that was rather commonplace for me within my, within my work. And so my question to you is, you know, is that something that, that has, has kind of jumped from being something very specific within the, um, within the IT world to, to something that is used a little bit more common? Because it seems, as I've dealt with uh, more people, my wife and, and others, when I use the word, they, they haven't given me that weird look like, what am I talking about? Mm-hmm. It's pretty transparent, right? It, yeah, I think so. My perspective on this is a little bit clouded from the fact that I worked in the IT industry for 15 years, and I know both the technical sense of ping and the sense that you're talking about, which means to, to check with somebody or to contact them quickly for to, to see if they've got something to say or to see, even see if they're there, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Uh, so I, I use it. My friends use it. But most of my friends who use it are technical as well. I do know that ping tends to show up pretty frequently on lists that people make of jargon that they loathe, <laughs> words that they don't like. And I think it, it's because it, it, it's not part of their life. It's not part of their work. And so it sounds a little forced to them, whereas for you and me, it sounds completely natural. Yeah, I think for somebody like me, it's sort of aspirational, you know, pain. Like we're, and... we're saying it as if we were trying to force it on others, uh, trying to get other people to adopt our lingo. Is that what you're saying? No, no. I'm saying oh. that uh, that those of us who aren't as technologically savvy might want to adopt that because it sounds cool, but we really don't understand exactly the 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 fundamental meaning. I mean, we, we understand that the abstract meaning of it, ping, meaning to contact. But I don't know. When, when I hear some of my peers talk about ping, pinging somebody or I don't have the bandwidth to deal with that, it, to me, it well, still sounds a little forced. I don't think it's there yet. It's interesting. It, for me, both words are, are so ordinary that they almost don't require, con- uh, they don't require any kind of comment. Right. I don't, I don't even have to explain them, you know. And right. ping, ping, I think, is transparent because of submarines. People see them in movies and understand the, the signal going out and bouncing back off of the potential target. And they get that that's what – and it makes a pinging noise and they get that's, that that is what is happening. Hmm. So that's – is that where – I assume that the word originated in, in the computer industry, but it sounds like it actually originated somewhere else. I believe it originated in the early days of radar, so in a military or aerospace engineering environment, and then was burrowed into the language of networking in the 1960s and 1970s. And then in the 1980s, when the Internet and the um, and networks like that became a little more established in the business world, the language started to slowly creep out of the specific technical sense and into the more general sense. Wow, Jason, all of that in one little four-letter word. Bing. Pretty, pretty interesting. Well, thanks for asking about that. Well, We're thanks for to... letting me uh, ping you guys on this. All right, thank you, Jason. <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye. I should have known that was coming, right? <laughs> I do say that we need to keep our eyes on this, and maybe in 10 or 20 years we'll know for certain how, how well it's going to stick. If you're wondering about technical jargon, you can always ping us. The number is 1-877-929-9673 or drop by our discussion forum. You'll find that at waywardradio.org slash discussion. Rebecca Schwartz of Worcester, Massachusetts, asks us via Twitter what the plural of hiatus is, H-I-A-T-U-S. And, you know, that's a very good question. For most people, especially Americans, it's hiatuses, right? Right. So that's easy. But the plural of hiatus can also be just hiatus with no E-S or extra S sound on the end, especially in the United Kingdom. This is what's called a zero plural a word that's the same in the singular form as it is in the plural form. So in, in the U.K., you could say we take two hiatus a year. Yes, you could. Well, if you have a question about language, call us, one 929 or send us an email. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, this is uh, George Brolaski. I'm in Encinitas, California. Hiya, George. Hi, George. What's up? Well, I am a physician. I, a good friend of mine that I communicate with by emails ends all of his emails with the following. There are some patients whom we cannot cure, but there are none we cannot help, cannot comfort, 
and none that we cannot harm. So I really applaud the sentiment, but I'm a little uncomfortable with the whom. Um, for me, whom almost always is preceded by to whom or for whom or mm-hmm. about whom. Mm-hmm. So I felt a little more comfortable with who we cannot cure, but even more comfortable with that we cannot cure. But yeah. I'd like to know what you all think about it. We could always knock out the who, whom, that all together and just say there are some patients we cannot cure. There you go. I thought of that, too. Oh, you did? Okay. This is another physician? Yes, another physician. Uh-huh. Uh, too often, I think, physicians forget about the we cannot harm part. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially uh, primary care doctors are so pressured these days to see people every 10 minutes, and they just rush, rush, rushing in and rushing out. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, there's a danger of mistakes being made. Uh, so let's talk about this email signature. It's, it goes, there are some patients whom we cannot cure, but there are none we cannot help? Yeah, there are some patients whom we cannot cure, comma, but there are none we cannot help, comma, cannot comfort, comma, and none we cannot harm. Uh-huh. And so you're wondering if the who, whom should be who, right? Or, yeah. Right. No, that sentence is correct as it is. There are some patients whom we cannot cure. That's right. Absolutely. Because it, you, you'd mentioned that you're used to seeing whom with um, T-O or two, right? So Or for or about. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something right. In front yeah, of and that's correct. And that's because those prepositions tend to indicate that the word following them is an object of a verb. And that's what's happening here. The patients are the object of the verb cure. You cure the patients. So therefore, uh-huh. whom is, is called for. Yeah, one way to think about who and whom is to compare it to he and him. He is a subject, him is the object, who is a subject, whom is the object. And in this case, we cannot cure, would you say we cannot cure him or we cannot cure he? Well, I could not cure him. Right. right. So right. him and whom are a pair and he and who are a pair. So we would go with whom here. Okay. Does that make sense? Well, good, then I'm not going to, you know, I was going to write them and say, look, maybe you better check that out, but I'm glad I didn't. I think, I, George, I can tell where you've got your reluctance about this, and this is because whom has fallen so far by the wayside that who seems to be more appropriate. We're more used to hearing it, so therefore we believe that it's more correct, and, and a lot of times it isn't. Yeah, these yeah, two. Yeah, whom kind of falling by the wayside. Uh... Yeah, even the most conservative authorities will acknowledge that whom has disappeared so far that it's not even necessarily called for um, in a situation like this. But but if you're you're still not wrong to use it. So. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Thanks, by the way, for sharing the good medical sentiment. Thank you so much okay. for calling too. All right. Bye bye. Thank you Bye-bye. for the help. Bye. Bye bye. If you have comments or questions about who and whom, let us know at waywardradio.org slash discussion or send us an email to words at waywardradio.org or give us a call with your questions about language to one 929 9673 
That's our show for this week. Support for our program comes from Mosey Online Backup. Got data? Visit mozy.com. If you didn't get on the air today, you can leave us a message anytime. The number's 1-877-929-9673. Or email your questions to words at waywardradio.org. Or join the conversation right now on our discussion forum. You'll find it at waywardradio.org slash discussion. Stephanie Levine is our senior producer. Our technical director and editor is Tim Felton. Tim also engineered our theme music. Kurt Conan produced it. We've had production help this week from Michael Bagdasian and Josette Herdell. From Studio West in San Diego, I'm Martha Barnett. And from the Argo Network in New York City, I'm Grant Barrett. Happy trails. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.